Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me today, I have a full house of co-hosts. Got Brandon Stevens and Ricardo Benavides in the building. Guys, welcome back. Hey, what's up, people? What's up? What's hey, up, guys. Ricardo? Good to be here, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, Brandon, good to have you back. Yep. Um, had a little, we didn't say anything on the podcast. We said you had a family uh, matter, but oh, apparently yeah. your son was like locked in the, and his classmates were locked in the gymnasium because they didn't know what the hell was going on at his yeah, uh, middle school. Yeah, they were having a, a lockout, which I don't really know the difference. But yeah, man, 2023, got your kid texting you from the school saying they're locked in the gym. They don't, they don't really know why. Um, and just telling you that they love you. Uh, and then you're just God. panicking from there. But yeah, so that's the world we live in, and that's not the text you ever want to get. But thankfully, everything uh, there was nothing that was. They were never in danger. So. Yeah, that's pretty that's frightening good. when we heard that. It was like we're on all the news media. Local yeah, news I'm like, yeah, I was checking the. You're not the only one because crazy. we didn't have any information either. Yeah. So yeah, um, did you go to the school and go? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Took them home. Oh, did you just, yeah. like, went in and got well, him? Well, by the what? time that Carmen had got there, they had ended the lockout. Lock okay. And so she just took him home. But wow. he, just think how traumatic it is for the kids, right? Well, that's just it, you man. Know? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you're like, they, they have no idea. They live in a different world than we did. So for them, you know, they're just like, oh, yeah, everything was fine because it's not like they practice these drills it's a di- but at the same time you know if you have to text your parents like hey i love you i don't know what's going on like we're locked in the gym nobody is mm-hmm. telling us what's happening and then there's other kids in the school texting and then you're just telling them hey like just be quiet listen to your teachers don't say any words like Jeez, you don't know what's man. going on so don't take any other kids words for it like wow it was yeah. a stressful situation, nevertheless, and it just this is a strange, just a strange time. And the, well, every generation has its thing, you know. I, when when I grew up, you know, it was um, the nukes, right? Being in the uh, being an army brat, yeah, yeah. And then we were in Germany, and it was a mixed uh, army air force base there over there, and we had some air force kids. And I remember having to do drills to jump under your right. desks. And I remember this one air force kid didn't do it and i said why aren't you getting on the desk and he goes well my dad said we're we don't stand a chance <laughs> yeah I'm getting with a nuke bro you're done oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like what <laughs> third grade you're like what what do you mean we don't stand a chance well yeah that's <laughs> crazy it, it just, yeah. it's crazy because you know we hear of like a school shooting or a mass shooting which which seem to they probably happen every day but we only hear about certain ones you know right um, and nevertheless, there was no shooting, and that's all I'll say about that because mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't think it doesn't really matter what. But happened. but what was the worst thing when you guys were going to school? Well, I remember starting to do earthquake drills. Well, no, actually, we uh, in 1999 is when all this really started with the Columbine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was in school, um, that was when I was in school. The the 1999 Columbine shooting happened, which had everybody really spooked. But some kids thought that, that it would be funny to take advantage of that, so they were calling in bomb threats oh, at no. our school. Well, they started two doing times. that. They did that when I was still there, though. Two times, yeah, bomb threats, very old school. But this was right after a mass school shooting had happened. Right. Within, like, probably, like, a week. It was, like, the next week. 
and they're like, ah, we can get out of school. And I remember yeah. us getting all, uh, they sent us all to the field. And now that yeah. I'm thinking about that, I'm like, cool, set us all up to freaking just get picked off yeah. right yeah. in the middle of the football field where they can just come out there and take everyone out. <laughs> um, so that that's really kind of when it, this this all started. I know this is a side note, but I remember at, at North Thurston High School, there was a bunch of when pay phones were still a thing. When you used to, used to have to call back your uh, mm. weed dealer after you paged after they paged you, um, you go to the payphones in front. And they were the payphones were right in front of the office though, and like like three kids like my either my junior or senior year got uh, in, like got arrested. Because oh yeah, they definitely they got called, arrested. They called bomb threats in from You're getting the freaking well from the payphone across from the uh, the school's office. Yeah, so it's like guys did not think this through very well no. back no. in like 2012 there was a school shooter at north thurston i remember that and he didn't ever shoot anybody because a teacher tackled him yeah um and got him down before he was able to shoot crazy anybody. man wow. this is a wild shoot jump shots not I, guns when that happened man all i could think was i really hate this place mm-hmm. yeah that's all i could think like why the thoughts that go through a parent's head and I'm just fortunate that nothing happened, but I can only imagine what the the people that actually were in this situation or maybe even lost somebody to that. Dang, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, man, um, switching brighter, gears on, on a brighter, brighter note. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're still listening, um, <laughs> you, you if you could like, share, rate, review, all that good stuff, we would appreciate it. We're available uh, anywhere that podcasts are available to listen to. So... Give us the hit the button, all that stuff. Follow us, turn on notifications. I guess that's on YouTube. We're not on there yet, but um, yeah. Anyway, guys, um, glad to have you all back in in studio after a few weeks. Um, well, it seems like you got a little bit of you know, rhythm back now, Jay. I uh, feel I feel better about the interview. I mean, I think the interview I did last week with. Um, Ashley was was awesome too. I think she had an incredible story. I just feel yeah. like I wasn't on my game and didn't ask. There's a few follow up questions Ricardo loves to point out that I didn't ask. Well, well I um, thought that 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 interview and I wasn't going to come over. I thought that interview was really cool because uh, you touched on some things that seemed like there. She was really happy to hear that you were mm-hmm. paying attention to that weren't necessarily about her injury or right. just kind of what she was into, tattoos and her. Um, there was a website. I can't yeah, remember. she's a, her, her, art, her, art, her art, art website, and then yeah. her uh, her clothing website too. Yeah. The, the and then no, the no pants, pants crew. Gang. No yeah. pants crew is what it was. <laughs> I think we got that wrong on the podcast. I apologize, yeah. Ashley. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still it's awesome. I I linked all that stuff to the podcast too. I might I might be ordering a sweatshirt because yeah. it was. It's yeah, I mean, uh, taking a hiatus. Uh, I mean, most podcasts take hiatus. By the way, Jay, you're the only one that does them like year-round non-stop <laughs> yeah. uh for fear fomo you yeah. have a good case of fomo with your podcast but i do man well we had like our listens were way down man so i'm just like uh I gotta, every time yeah gotta, if you don't post gotta people. boost this gotta boost this so um but i want it's not even that like i don't care about likes or or listens or whatever i just do this because i think it's yeah well, you know, i was trying to spread trying to spread the message and, and get you know get this this injury solved and and yeah. you know it can't be i mean we're in 2023 bro like the fact that we can't figure out how to heal a spinal cord is crazy so yeah it's that's still one of those most if you really like think about it it's just a 
it's puzzling absolutely absolutely well uh yeah this week's guest is a gentleman named sharon campbell and um i started following him a while back on instagram um or i think we followed each other whatever and um i saw that he had a spinal cord injury and i was like what this dude's like posting workout Hmm. videos like and just is like rip rip to shreds man like six pack all that's like just doing doing like killer workouts i mean he so he and then then but then when you look like so he's like doing like upper a lot of upper body stuff in in a lot of his videos and then like once you kind of dig deeper you see like okay he's he's not really doesn't have the best balance maybe um and he's able to walk but he uses um like those crutches a lot of times i I mean i think he can take some steps by himself too but um yeah i mean he's he doesn't need a wheelchair anymore for uh, he did say he does still use it for for like going through the airport and things like that um when he's got to walk like a long distance Mm -hmm. but um yeah so he uh he's just i mean he's an incredible guy man does he's just kind of an advocate for for spinal cord injuries and like yeah it's it's uh excuse me coming at it from a different perspective because you don't expect to see somebody with a spinal cord injury look like he does or like walk like no. you know, be or, able to walk or it was a c4 things. c5 right it was yes yeah, like same level as i Dang. was yeah yeah and when he came home i think he was still like he didn't have he had barely any movement and eventually like started getting stuff back kind of slowly but surely um oh strange and you know he, it's it's just that thing it's like the you know when you're in the hospital they'll they tell you like oh you know, don't, don't expect, know. yeah, or like, yeah, like, oh, you're probably, you know, get used to it. This is what life is yeah. going to be like. And, you know, he just didn't take that into, into account. And I, I like his, um, his story of where you're talking to him about his training in his previous life as a track athlete, where right. you're looking at like tenths of seconds mm-hmm. and that's a huge performance gain. And so I think that mindset that he had mm. in his performance was, okay, I'm not looking to move my whole arm. If I can move the tip of this finger, that's it's what the, I'm going it's for. It's the slight yeah. edge philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty every, cool. Every day just make a tiny incremental improvement. Yeah. yeah. And in the long run, those little incremental improvements make larger improvements. Right. right. Once yeah. they're stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, and, and the the way he was injured, like that's crazy. Like that, just wrestling with a with a college buddy, and I I had it had me thinking about like all the times where I'm like I probably could have broke my neck there on oh. my back, like thinking about like I got slammed or I was like body surfing at the beach and I just like put my elbow out instead of like hitting my head or just like just right. these moments, right, where that changed your life forever. Yeah, or I it brought me back to like after um, college and high school playing uh, Thanksgiving football games. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where you're not oh, yeah. warmed turkey up. Turkey bowl. Yeah, turkey bowl, and you're out there, and it's muddy and slippery, and yeah. you know I've seen guys break their legs. Yeah. You know, ankles are total twisted around and stuff like that. But you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, you're having fun and millimeters. Yeah, yeah. ordinary day, right? Just an yeah. ordinary day. Yeah, but man, think how bad like his friend must feel for. And he said, yeah, he made it. Like I asked him if they're still yeah. in contact. He said, you know, they talk every now and again, but they weren't really like great oh, friends yeah. before. Um, 
but you know they still are cordial or whatnot but um yeah i mean like or like when we were like little kids man pretending we were like wwe wrestlers or whatever and just crazy shit. i mean obviously i think uh you know kids are a little more nimble and they're closer to the ground and like uh you know that's probably why it typically happens to you know teenagers or above but <clears throat> yeah, I mean, dude, one day, I, how many times did we wrestle? I'm thinking, like, like I, my kids don't really do it much anymore, but I'm thinking, like, that was one of our favorite things to do was, like, wrestle mm-hmm. with, the, with the friends, just going yeah. rounds. And getting, yeah. Getting tossed around or slammed right. or falling on your head. And, nope, nothing. That's crazy. It's just, I mean, yeah, I'm – this injury man can happen in so many different ways and it's just it's it's insane and um yeah i mean i I couldn't even imagine it andy's got you know two little kids at the time and uh, and a wife and well there's still family back yeah (laughs) they are still little it wasn't that long ago but still i mean yeah now they're they're a little little bit older like early teens to i guess late single 2014 so yeah so nine years, so yeah, like a ten-year-old and a thirteen-year-old or something. But yeah, he Still pretty uh, young, yeah, yeah, they're definitely young. But yeah, I mean, like his kids, like he said, they don't even remember before he was in a wheelchair, you know, or before I mean before he had the injury because he's not using a wheelchair anymore. So he kind of bypassed that section too. He said because like they barely remember him using a wheelchair either because you know he he gained a lot of that that function that he's got now back prior to that. So uh anyway man well let's get to this interview real quick um we've rambled on long enough and uh yeah here's sharon campbell and we will uh talk to you guys on the other side this week on the live to walk again podcast we are so excited to visit with sharon campbell uh he's an advocate uh father workout monster and uh spinal cord injury survivor. so sharon welcome to the show man thank you so much for joining me thanks for the invite yeah for sure for sure so um you know i've been following you on on social media for for a little bit and uh yeah i was actually like the some of the first stuff i saw on you i was kind of surprised that you had a spinal cord injury <laughs> um you know for anybody that doesn't already know your search you, you know you you do have some movement you're able to walk a little bit and uh and clearly you're able to work out like a, like a, a beast, man. So, you know, talk a little bit about your injury and, and kind of when that happened and, and kind of the circumstances surrounding that. Yeah, it's been a long road to where I am now. I was injured in 2014, wrestling around with a friend. Uh, he had me in a headlock and I was trying to yank my head out and unfortunately broke my neck at C4 and C5 and ended up as a quadriplegic Um Initially, I had very little right arm movement and then nothing else below the shoulders. So that allowed me to at least use like a power chair to get around and to and from. So that's where I started at. Uh, Kind of promised myself I was going to dedicate myself to therapy for at least a full year. And luckily for me, things started firing. So once that got going, it became almost like an addiction or a habit to just keep working on it to see what I could recover and year after year was able to get, regain a little bit of function um as i regained function then i was able to strengthen it after i could strengthen it then it was trying to you know form dexterity and coordination which is an absolute beast and a hurdle to overcome so luckily i i 
look very functional now, but my movements are still really uncoordinated. Uh, the wheelchair life and other things over the years have taken a toll. So my body's kind of deformed structurally, really tight muscles, joints are kind of all beat up. Um, so I'm, I'm making the best of what I have, but yeah, it's step by step and stone by stone to get to where I am today. Oh yeah, no, it's, uh, it's an inspiration for sure. Um, you know, what kind of watching your journey, um, so you, you're injured, um, wrestling with a friend. That's crazy, man. Like how, yeah. like, do you, are you guys still in contact? I mean, are you still, uh, have you, do you talk to him often or, or are you guys still, still friends and everything? Uh, we chat occasionally. Uh, we weren't super close when it happened. Um, so it didn't change a whole lot just cause I wasn't seeing him, um, too frequently before it happened. And I actually was meeting up with him while I was on vacation. So we don't live near each other and we've chatted a few times since then, but there's no hard feelings at all. It just was just one of those random events that no one saw coming. So. Wow. So you got injured while you were on vacation too. So, um, yeah. you know, how, how far away from your, your home were you and, and how did that all work then? Did they, did you go through kind of your hospital stay getting, getting stabilized and everything wherever you were at? And then, head home yeah. rehab or how, how did that all work? Yeah, I was injured in San Diego while I was visiting uh, friends. I had just finished my master's degree, so I went out there to kind of celebrate and get away. Um, met up with some old college buddies, and so that's why we were wrestling around. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know going into it, so when I was injured, there's not very many uh, spinal cord injury-specific places on the West Coast. Uh, luckily, me being from Colorado, we have Craig Hospital here in Colorado, which is a huge hub and resource for spinal cord injuries and brain injuries. Um, but I didn't know that normally insurance won't cover to get you from A to B. So then it immediately started funding and um, out-of-pocket expenses to try to get a medical flight from California to Colorado and making sure that I could get accepted into the hospital in Colorado, since it's usually limited beds. And um, I wasn't normally in their range uh i believe they mostly pull patients from like new mexico wyoming colorado utah kind of the the surrounding states so i was lucky i was lucky to be able to get back home and um also lucky that there was a a good facility here for me to join yeah absolutely so so once you're able to you know, f figure out how to get home and, and, uh, start going to Craig. And I've heard like great things about Craig. Like we've had quite a few people on the show that, that have gone there for their rehab and everything else. Um, so how long was that process for you at Craig, uh, once you got out there and, um, yeah, how, how much, you know, rehab did you, did you get there? And then, um, yeah, like what was that process like, I guess? Um, it's been pretty long and ongoing. So the first two weeks were just getting stabilized in California. And then once I got to Craig Hospital, I was inpatient for about four months. Uh, during those four months, it was a lot more focused on uh, care and teaching my family how to how to care for me and just getting you adjusted to what it's going to be like going back home because there wasn't a lot of signs for recovery and I didn't have a lot of functional movement, if at all. So it was just you know, preparing you for life afterwards. Um, but after I was discharged, they had uh, what they call the NRN program. It's a neuro recovery network that was originally started by the uh, Dana and Christopher Reeves Foundation. 
And it was a, a research project where it was basically locomotor movement. So putting you on a treadmill and manually moving you for an hour a day. Um, I was lucky, lucky to get into that research uh, program. And I did that from May uh, that first year in 2015 to about uh, December. So about at least a good seven, eight months. And during that time frame, I was able to get some return function to my legs, was able to use a forearm walker. And so that really helped me get going. And then they were also starting the upper extremity portion of that study, which uh, revolved a, a lot around E-STEM. And so once I started participating in that, started getting some arm function back. Um, so these are all just separate pieces that built on top of each other because my legs came back before my arms, then started working on my arms. Then when I got back home, um, probably after a good solid year of just outpatient therapy, but intensive enough where I was still there almost daily. Uh, then I was trying to work out at home, figuring out what I could still do to try to replicate what they had been doing at the hospital. Um, and then since then, I still participate in regular studies at Craig Hospital anytime I get the chance. And that's included, uh, they have uh, transcutaneous stimulation now. So they're trying to stim the spinal cord instead of the muscular system. Um, I did a bladder study. So stimming again, your spinal cord, trying to improve bladder function. Um, yeah, and I, I just use them as a resource as much as I can because there's so many people that have gone through there, uh, really good doctors. Um, anything I can participate in, I will. And then when I can't, it's just applying the things that I've learned from them and others at home. Oh, that, that's amazing, man. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome that you've been able to, to participate in some of the studies and stuff uh, along the way. Uh, you know, that kind of leads me to my next question, like, you know, the, the transition back home, right? We all, you know, you're kind of in that hospital bubble after your, after your injury, I think for, for pretty much everybody. Um, and, you know, it's spending four months uh, in the hospital there. What, what is that transition like? Was it like for you getting back, you know, kind of to what the real world's going to be like? Um, you know, I, I saw another interview with you and, um, that you're, you were married at the time and, and father of two small children. Um, you know, are, are you able to go back to like your family home? Or did you guys have to make a bunch of renovations? Uh, did you have to move somewhere else? Like how did that work for um, you? And, and yeah, what, what was that situation like? It, it was a bumpy situation. Our, our old home was a, a tri-level home. So there was just no way of modifying it for, a power chair at that point in time. So we ended up staying in the home or selling the home and then staying with family members. Um, initially getting home, it's it's good and bad. People were really supportive and there for me in the beginning. And then uh, as everybody got back to a routine life, it got harder and harder to get me to and from therapy, um, to and from massage appointments, different things like that. So I, I really tried to do as much as I could at home uh, to lessen the load on family members and then also to make sure that I was doing my part and not just laying in bed and that you know started with me thinking about routines whether it was just trying to wiggle my toes my feet my arms my hands uh i literally like wrote out a routine of things that i could do each day and just worked on those things as if they were a workout um kind of routine and then as function returned then you you know keep modifying and keep building and keep changing stuff to whatever your level of function is um even to the point where just uh, transfers in and out of the wheelchair and into the car became part of my workout routine where I would do those 
you know, eight to 10 times, like three sets to make sure that I was getting efficient. And I could do that easy enough just because, I mean, it was hard. And then having family members uh, move, you can be difficult if you have a, a good, strong family member around. That's great. But there were times where it was really difficult for my grandmother helping me or my mother helping me. I mean, my grandma's probably like a hundred pounds at best. And so to be able to move me in and out of a vehicle just wasn't possible. So the more that I could do, then the more it was easier for everyone else. And yeah, it was, it was bumpy, but it, we, we made it work. And then once it was in my hands, it kind of made it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great that you had family support at least, you know, like, and I know what that's like the the whole, you know, everybody being around and and so willing to help like at first and then it's like everybody kind of gets back into their their routines and and it's tough to kind of keep that same level of uh i guess help around um now were you say when you went home though you you so you just had some movement in your right arm at that time and were using a power chair and then eventually over that next year you got got some movement back in your legs is that how it went yeah i was discharged with the goals at home to start uh feeding myself for about 50 percent of the meals and trying to help with assistance getting dressed and so i mean i was truly dependent on on people for just about any and everything from bowel bladder getting dressed and then most of my meals um so those were the things that i was working on the goals when i was first discharged um like i said my my leg functions start coming back first and it seems well and great, but it was for very short distances, um, fighting to getting into standing. Um, and I took that and tried to work as much as I could to um, use a forearm walker to get to the house or get to the kitchen, maybe like once a day or um, eventually was able to take the forearm walker outside. And I would try to do a loop in the cola sack. And it was literally just building on these things like week after week. Um, it wasn't until about the the first year had passed before I started getting my left arm back and really functioning. And so then it was kind of the same routine and, and same thing, trying to rebuild that as well. Yeah, I know that that's amazing. Um, so what was your level of injury? You said uh, C4. Um, and then what did, was it an incomplete injury then? And did, were they expecting you to get, get some stuff back? Um, when, when you were leaving the hospitals, I know they're pretty notorious for, for keeping your uh, expectations low when you're, uh, mm -hmm. when you're coming out of the hospital. So yeah. Like what kind of mindset were you in, you know, as like, I guess, resulting from what they were telling you coming out of the hospital? Yeah. Initially I was a, an Asia B. Um, so I could feel um, some sensation below my level of injury. I think they have a different scoring method now. Um, but by feeling, I mean, if you asked me to close my eyes and move my arm around in a circle, like I could tell something was going on, but I couldn't tell you what direction my arm was or what direction my leg was. I just knew something was moving. Um, so they were very careful to not give me any type of false hope. But I did uh, fortunately have some nurses and doctors that, you know, told me, make sure you keep working on stuff. If things are functioning, keep working on it. So you do get two different perspectives, um, even though I know it's a, a clinical setting, so they don't want to say too much and you can't do too little. It's a really fine balance and and difficult for them, but I'm kind of hard-headed too. So if, if there's any hope at, you know, something coming back or me being successful, like 
that's what I'm going to do. And a lot of habits from before my injury was sports and running track. It's just my personality and who I am. Uh, that that's probably yeah a great great place to be in mentally you know like having that having that drive um you know so coming home like so I got injured when I was 18 um still in high school and I couldn't imagine having to deal with this injury and and like the rehab from this injury when you're married and you have two small children like what was that um like did that serve more as a as a motivation for you to to keep working hard to get to get that movement back um yeah you just talk about talk about that experience i guess a little bit yeah i mean there's different perspectives on when you get hurt like i i feel like since i was 30 there were a lot of things that i lived and accomplished so that didn't hurt me or bother me too much but the fact that i wasn't going to be able to to be the father that I was just the week before, like throwing my kids around, um, taking them on bike rides, throwing them in a pack and going hiking. Like I attached so much of my idea of parenting and being a father to physical movement and interactions. Like seeing that gone was really difficult. Um, I usually don't have any problem taking on challenges myself or uh, things, you know, being difficult for me. So that part I was okay with, but thinking about the workload that my family was going to have to to take on was the hardest part. Oh yeah. I can, can only imagine. Um, so your, your children, I'm not sure. I, 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 I can't remember what um, I, on the interview that I saw with you, what, what I heard that they, they were at the time of your injury, but I mean, do they remember, do they both remember you as a, a walking, you know, dad, like you said, taking them on hikes and, and throwing them around in the yard or whatever, playing around with them? No, they were one and three at the time. So um, my oldest, who was three, for about that first year, she would still ask um, or say that she remembered me like throwing her in the air or doing different stuff like that. But over time, they, you know, eventually forgot all this stuff that, you know, we used to do just because they were so young. And likewise, at this point, they don't really remember me being in the power chair or other things either, because that lasted you know, another couple of years. And now I still use a manual chair um, in bigger events and venues. So the airport um, or if a scooter is available, I walk really slow and use forearm crutches. So things are still different, but the times that were were more challenging that I was more dependent, they don't have any memory of those things either. Okay. And so how long after, I guess, your injury um, did you and your your wife at the time get separated and um you know eventually divorced like what was that I mean that's got to add a whole nother level to things like trying to rehab while you know raising kids uh, on your own like that's that's got to be be a hell of a burden and and uh, I guess I don't want to say burden but you know like a, a huge challenge and it sounds like you're up for a lot of challenges anyway so um, you know, what was, you know, what was that experience like? I guess, like, when did that all take place after your, your injury? Kind of talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly. The best that I can explain is it kind of shifts your family dynamics to um, when you find a partner, there's usually someone who's more caring or giving, or someone might be working more. Or there's all these different situations that, you know, we kind of balance to, to build a relationship and uh, right before I was injured, she was mainly a stay-at-home mom. And so me being injured, a lot of the responsibility and things fell onto her. And I think that added a lot of frustration and a lot of anger towards me. And 
the relationship suffered pretty quickly after that. Oh man, that, that's tough. That's tough. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like a lot of us after this injury, you have depression, like, you know, you, you kind of, I don't know if you, I know I became kind of almost like a recluse, like didn't like going out a lot, things like that. But, um, you know, you seem like such a happy-go-lucky guy and you had so much that you had to, to deal with. Um, you know, did you, did you go through those kind of depression moments and, and dealing with that sort of stuff after, you know, coming out of the hospital and, and, uh, after suffering the injury and everything? Um, honestly, I, I didn't have the issues, um, with depression and stuff quite as much, but that, mostly came from I had lost my sister uh, due to suicide just six months before I was injured and so losing her and that death and especially it being related to suicide and depression I had already went through a lot of the thoughts like trying to put myself in her shoes trying to think about what that was like what I would do how I would react if I was ever that down so I mean I I oddly did a lot of like work just myself mentally and emotionally before I was paralyzed. So when my injury happened, I at least had those things in place where I had already had the conversations with myself where if that ever happened or was, I thought, what would I do? How would I work around it? Would I get help? Like, how would I push myself? And so sadly, um, even though I wish that situation never happened, her suicide helped me a lot and kept me strong with my own injury. Wow. Wow, man. That's, that's a heavy load that your family endured during that six months like I can't can't even imagine that's uh but that's I mean that is I guess a, a kind of a silver lining that you were able to kind of deal with what um you know that that, that I guess that the, where you needed to be mentally to deal with something like that so um but yeah man condolences on on your that, that's that's just terrible um sorry to hear that and uh, but hey, you know, moving, I, I kind of switching gears to like some more positive stuff. I know, um, you know, when did you start documenting your journey on, on like social media with, you know, kind of your workout videos and, and just how you're getting around day to day, things like that. Um, Cause I, I feel like that's so inspiring to people that are dealing with this injury, um, seeing some of the stuff that you're doing now. Yeah, that was part of me dealing with uh, being alone a lot and actually some of the emotional stuff because I was at home by myself, usually caring for my kids every day. And um, social media, Instagram was newer at the point in time. And like with hashtags, it was like that was one of the few platforms that I could reach out to other people and find other people that were were dealing with the injury. So like anything, hashtag spinal cord injury or quadriplegic, like I was able to find other people that way and ask for ideas or tips and um, communicate with others that were going through the same thing I was. But with that, then I started documenting and sharing my stuff too, um, the same way in hopes that other people would reach out or hopefully find me the same way and kind of started it, got into the habit of it and haven't really stopped since. Oh, that's great. Like, um, was it difficult for you at any point? I mean, were you a big social media person prior to your injury? I know you, like you mentioned, it was, it was pretty early on kind of in the, in the social media game, but, um, 
you know, yeah. Did you, was it difficult at all for you to, to kind of share some of that stuff um, as you're going through the the journey of this injury? Um, A little bit. I, I was off social media up until my sister's passing just because I was in grad school and I felt like it was a drain and a waste of time. So there, I went from no social media to joining just to stay connected with family members after we were going through um, our family transitions. And then especially with kids, it was a way for me to share what was going on with my kids with family members. Um, but yeah, after that, like it, I found it a better tool that I hadn't really saw before as far as staying connected with friends and family members and finding other people in this, you know, small group I, I now belong to. Yeah. How, how did, uh, like, what kind of reaction did you get, um, from people both, I guess, able-bodied and, and dealing with, uh, spinal cord injuries after, you know, you kind of got your page going and, and started sharing all of this stuff? Um, usually pretty good. I think most people just expect, uh, someone with this type of injury or someone in a wheelchair to not do a whole lot to stay inside, um, so I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. Sometimes when you're out, people are like, yeah, just great to see you out. And it's like, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. I have an injury, but that doesn't mean that I'm dead. I still want to go out and enjoy stuff. I'm still working out at home. I still do therapy. I might have a more uh, physical training lifestyle than the average person now at this point. And, you know, some of it is in hopes of recovering as much as I can, but a lot of it becomes maintenance at some point where, uh, our health deteriorates so much faster. Like any health issue is much more significant. Um, so I want to be careful of those things. And luckily I've been fortunate enough where it keeps getting better and, you know, not going back too far, but I've had a lot of ups and downs and injuries along the way. So I know how quick it can be taken away from me too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I, you know, Sharon, I'm curious what your, day-to-day life looks like um you know on as far as like how many hours per day or per week are you able to spend you know rehabbing and working out um because you know from your videos and stuff man you are yoked bro so it's uh (laughs) it's uh it's impressive to see man um somebody with with a spinal cord injury having having gotten that much strength back um you know, yeah, how much time are you dedicating to to kind of working out and, and rehabbing on a daily basis? Um, it varies and it kind of depends on on what gets counted into that that bucket. I'm usually up at five in the morning because my fiance is getting up for work and then at the gym shortly after and usually weight training sessions are anywhere from like an hour to an hour and a half. It just depends on how quick I can move around and setting up stuff. Um, at home, I usually try to bike or do a treadmill, like 30 to 45 minutes, which, um, I mean, that's most of the walking or movement that I'm getting over the course of a day. So it's, it's not just doing it for training, but if I'm not doing those things, then I'm literally not getting much more than maybe a thousand steps a day, just because I, I walk so slow. So like I, I do a lot and I try to share those things, but you know, on the outside world, it's not like I go for a walk around the park or I go out jogging or a lot of other activities. Like this is my primary, you know, source of health and caring for myself. And, um, if I get freer downtime, I might stretch or use East and some of those things is, are kind of hit and miss if I get time laying in bed. And then I still have been doing massage, acupuncture, um, for, 
going on eight years now. And then, like I said, I've done uh, studies at Craig Hospital on and off. So the last one I did, I think, wrapped up um, last spring. And so sometimes those can run anywhere from four weeks to three months. Okay. Um, yeah. Are you able, are you um, working out still at Craig Hospital at all? Or are you just uh, out, out at like a standard gym? Um, I'm just going to my rec center right now. Um, they have great facilities, but it's depending on traffic can still be like an hour drive. So it's just not something doable to keep as routine as I am. So like for me, I'm, I'm really big about consistency and, and routine and stuff. Like I'd rather be able to do less every single day than only try to beat myself up like one day per week. Uh, and initially I started doing everything at home, like just in my bedroom on my own most things body weight or using some type of bands because I didn't have an equipment and year after year I've added equipment and been able to do stuff like in my basement or I had a home gym in the garage throughout COVID and that was an absolute lifesaver and then finally when I was confident enough and feeling good enough to get into a regular gym then I started doing that uh, and been keeping up with that for probably about past year and a half now. Nice, nice. And do you, so do you require any like adaptive equipment when you go work out at the gym? Do you bring some stuff with you? Um, Cause I know like I have the able hands that I use to work out and be able to like hold on to stuff. I think you have like a little bit more dexterity, it seems like um, than, than I do, but uh, yeah. Like what, what does that look like when you, when you head to the gym? I mean, are you uh, yeah, are you taking equipment with you or are you able to pretty much use what they have there? Um, I'm mostly using what they have there. Like I use my forearm crutches just to get around, but actually for lifting and working out. I'm still so weak on most movements. Like my grip strength has been like enough to to do those weights. There are uh, quite a few different things where my grip strength fails before say like a back muscle or uh, something else would if I was doing like pull downs or rows or something like that. And uh, my favorite thing instead of like the active hands has been almost like these metal uh, hook type grips that people, I mean, a regular able body person would use for like deadlifts or like really heavy weight. And I like those just because I can kind of fling them on and catch on to it without having to actually Velcro or strap things around my hands. Oh. So when I do need, um, more grip or if I'm trying to like pull more weight or do something like that where my hands are going to fail then I can use those hook grips okay okay um you know and I did I almost forgot to ask you this um I did see in the the interview you did with on the I guess the Kathy J show uh there in Colorado um that you talked a little bit about you know that you're you you're able to get the you you have the movement back or some of the movements back but you still have issues with kind of sensation and feeling um as far as like you know it feels like i don't know like your your foot is asleep or something i think maybe you said or or that um you know it's a little tingly still so you don't have like perfect sensation i guess so like talk about that like what's your sensation level like um you know below your injury level it, it's all pretty spotty pretty much everything from the shoulders down is limited in sensation in some aspect um, there's a lot of parts of my body where like hot and cold temperatures, I can't feel anything at all. So usually getting into the shower, I can sense some with my arm now, so I can at least tell if it's too hot or too cold. 
if it's too hot or too cold, usually I get a spastic response too. And so that helps me determine like how something's feeling. And then I have to get my neck or, or my face into the water to actually feel it. Uh, same thing with uh, any sharp sensation or pain sensation. Some areas I can feel it. Uh, sometimes the onset of it will cause like a spastic response. And sometimes I don't feel it at all. So my most recent embarrassment is I got a, a leg or a calf massage machine just for at home and I turned it on and it felt good and I was getting some spasms but I thought it was just from like massaging the muscle and I had left it on too long so it had uh, caused blisters and pretty much rug burned and caused skin sores on the back of my calves just from me not feeling it and I didn't realize it until my son came in and was like what happened to the back of your legs right. I was like oh man I gotta still do skin checks and still check my body for for sores because it's just something that I don't have any control over. Right, right. That that's interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, so do you do you think uh Sharon that you like kind of your athletic background, like being in track and field uh prior to injury. And I, I think I heard that you uh also did CrossFit and stuff a little bit before your injury. Like do you think mm -hmm. that that kind of contributed to you getting some movement back and being able to to kind of get back in the gym and and be working out and and uh you know just yeah like i guess ha having this uh you know get, getting some more results back from your rehab um do you, do you kind of contribute some of that to your your previous athletic endeavors or do you think it's just kind of luck of the draw with the injuries since none of these injuries are the same yeah, to me, it definitely helps because I think even the average person getting into the gym, it's always developing that that routine and that habit and um, kind of getting into that lifestyle. And that's something that I was doing every day. So for me being injured, it was something that I wanted to get back to as quick as possible. Um, I do think that it helped that I was in really good health going into it. So a lot of the other complications or issues that could have came with me being bedridden or in a wheelchair the onset was longer. Um, I also had really good body awareness from cheerleading and track over the years and lifting. So if a physical therapist was telling me to like focus on a muscle, I still had, you know, that muscle memory where I was trying to like move or engage that specific muscle. And I knew my body really, really well to, to work on those things. And then with track, track is such a a weird sport. You train year round to, you know, improve by a 10th of a second. And sometimes you don't improve from the previous year at all so I'm just really you know good at training not aimlessly but on an ongoing basis knowing that it's a process and knowing that it takes a long time like I can train all year for a smaller minimal gain and to me that's still worth it right right yeah that's definitely a, a good mindset to have I can I would imagine um that's very cool what what do you think the number one thing like you mentioned you do acupuncture and like massage and things like that as well as you know you're walking and then then working out in the gym with weights and stuff like what do you think is your like the number one I guess thing that you do on a on a daily or weekly basis that kind of helps you um in your recovery and as well as maybe mentally helps you um get through the day yeah, it kind of depends on where I'm at. 
uh, early on, it seemed that the number one thing that was most beneficial for me was highly repetitive movement. So kind of like the, the early research study that I did, like just that, that motion over and over again and trying to move it over and over again. But once something gets firing, um, then it was focused on trying to strengthen it and then strengthen it, you know, trying to make it more functional or more of a complex movement. So say if I could curl my arm up, um, it might not work when I'm standing, like my triceps are spastic. So then it's trying to cut one muscle off while I'm trying to engage another muscle. So I tend to do a lot of different things, but it just depends on what's going on with my body at that point in time. And injuries creep up too. So I uh, broke a, or fractured my hip a couple of years ago. So that kind of took away a lot of the walking, a lot of the biking stuff. And then I built up a HO, which is kind of a calcium um, or almost hardening of the muscle tissue in that hip. And so that gets aggravated and, and irritated quite a bit. So I have to be careful with how hard I push myself on the bike or walking. Cause then if I pull that hip flexor, then, you know, it's hard for me to, to walk around already, but even worse when I have to actually try to compensate for an injury. Right. So damn, man, what is a, what is a broken hip? Like, what, how do you deal with that? Uh, you know, what did they have to go do? Uh, you know, did they have to do surgery or anything uh, for that? Or it was just kind of stay off of it for a while. Like what, yeah, what, what does that look like for you? No, having the the injury sucks in a lot of different ways because uh, going into a hospital, they tend to not want to do surgery on someone if it's not going to get them back to 100% or if there's uh, a higher risk than benefit. So for me, not being able to run or walk um, to begin with, they aren't going to go in and do surgery for me to still not be able to run or walk. Right. Um, they don't want to take that risk or that liability of of doing surgery on it. So I just got sent home and had to, you know, kind of wait for it to heal up. So that was probably about, it took like six or seven months before it really started like feeling okay again. But during those six or seven months, I was maybe getting in like two to 300 steps a day and just struggling to get out to the car, just struggling to get inside or cook dinner and then literally laying on the floor, like in between, um, starting food, dinner. I mean, it, it took a pretty, pretty big toll. And are you in pain, like trying to walk around with that injury? Um, yeah, that, that thing, for whatever reason, some of the, the internal feeling and sensation is pretty good. So I could feel that and it did not feel good and it, it hurt. So that was one of the things that got me to the hospital too, is I'm not one to complain about pain or uh, being uncomfortable a whole lot, but that that hip fracture was tearing me up pretty bad and I knew I needed to go to the hospital like something was definitely off and uh do you still experience like dysreflexia when something below your injury level like that is hurting you and maybe you're, you're not realizing it do you do you get like the blood pressure kind of shooting up and and the headache uh from dysreflexia or is that not something you really deal with yeah, I still uh, start getting the signs of AD. For me, usually I start getting almost a hearing loss or like a muffled type sound like underwater. And then I start getting the the blacked out like tunnel vision, um, getting really hot, lightheaded, uh, blood pressure stuff. So once that starts kind of like that onset happens, I'm pretty quick to either start checking my body for something being wrong, um, getting inside, cooling off. Oddly for me, it's 
I'm not diabetic or anything, so I can't say it's like being diabetic, but sometimes I just need like a huge like sugar kick or rush. Um, so sometimes I'll come in and just down a bunch of candy, sit down, try to cool off. Um, if I'm out in the heat too long, I'll start feeling that way. Or if there's something wrong, wrong with my body, I'll start feeling that. Right. Right. Well, man, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by you, man. Like, uh, and your kind of your journey. And, and I thank you for, for documenting that. Oh, I wanted to know, what did you, uh, you mentioned that you had just gotten your master's degree when you got injured. What, what did you, uh, what were you studying? Uh, software engineering. All right, so you're uh, you're not only like a, a, an inspiration as far as your injury, but you're one of the smartest people in the world too. Great, That's, uh, <laughs> I got go that all, you got it all going for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, hey, uh, Sharon Campbell, man, I appreciate you so much coming on the show and and sharing your your story with us. And um, yeah, man, keep up the good work, and and yeah, we'll definitely uh, connect down the road here, a ways. Yeah. And likewise, I have to say thank you, you know, to you as well, because your page, the interviews you're doing, the people you've talked to, uh, getting that input, hearing different stories. I mean, even your own story, you know, as recently as last week that, you know, helps myself and a lot of our community learn from each other and, you know, make our lives a bit easier. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the kind words. The check is in the mail. (laughs) But yeah, thanks, uh, Sharon Campbell. I appreciate you, man. And uh, we will definitely do this again sometime soon. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. Take care. All right. That was Sharon Campbell. Uh, I want to thank him again for you know taking some time out of uh, his day to, to join us and, and tell his story. And yeah, man, just amazing guy. Another person that, that went to Craig Hospital there in, uh, in Colorado, which... You know, it's, it's obviously a blessing. Always, yeah. I mean, sounds like that's like the premier spot kind of in this area of the country. So, yeah, and having been injured in a in a different area and being able to, I mean, at least they let him over there. Yeah, well, man. you know, it's he he didn't give a number, but I'm sure it was in the thousands of dollars to get life lighting yeah. right i mean which is another bs thing oh man that, yeah. that's just crazy well i mean it's like um simon calcavecchia like he had to get he had to get life lighted back from australia after his injury oh yeah and that's just, i mean i can't i remember them doing like i remember seeing that they had like a fundraiser back um you know like a year after my accident and just being like, God damn, we got to come all the way back from Australia. That's got to be. Yeah, because none of that stuff is covered by insurance. Mm-mm. Even if you get in a car accident and have to be life flighted and doesn't care, get covered. Yeah, well, so, yeah, I, I remember we seeing talk about some... how dumb insurances are on this podcast enough. Yeah. So yeah. we won't rehash dumb shit yeah. like that. Yeah. I remember seeing some wild uh, bills, though, coming through the, the mail when, after my accident and having to get life flighted to Seattle. Uh, that shows like hundreds and hundred thirty thousand uh, dollar medical 20, bill twenty five years ago, yeah. and that was twenty five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. but you know what, Jeremy I, and Brandon, I learned something new every time you have a guest. You know, um, just him talking about his workouts and the whole deal with the calf and the leg um, uh, burns that he got. Mm. You know, yeah. I would think I was thinking. You know, as I'm listening to it, as he's talking about his workouts and his moving and stuff but he doesn't have any sensation on his skin. 
sounds like right. it most of the time, or except spotty. for like yeah. below his shoulders, right? And so the fact about, you know, he could like burn himself really badly, you know, I know. with with hot water or something, not even realize it. Well, that's, you know, the, that's the thing. I, and I'm glad I remembered. I You, you mentioned that, Ricardo, off air. And I'm, I'm glad I, I almost forgot to ask him that. I had that in my head that I wanted to excite that morning before I did the interview, I had watched another interview that he had done on like a local TV show in, in Denver. Um, and the, the woman that was interviewing him asked that exact question. And I was like, damn, I was like, he can't feel his, like, he can't feel his legs barely at all. Like you can just feel like pressure and stuff is what he kind of, how he described it and like has really spotty, spotty feeling but that's kind of like with the uh Neuralink you know that was like one of the things that they've brought up it's like well if you can't feel like you know it's going to be kind of dangerous to be able to walk and move and it's like well obviously I still want to be able to walk and move if I can but um and I would take that risk you know but it's like uh, that's something you have to think about like like they that's like, like the, the like connect they like need stepped the, on glass or something and yeah you're just or you bleeding cut your everywhere foot you have or, no idea yeah or just or you uh, broke your hip and you didn't know yeah right <clears throat> exactly so but, um but that's the thing it's like they need to figure out like if if elon musk can figure out how to reconnect the the movement like somebody else hopefully is working on how to reconnect the the sensation so it can reconnect the sensation yeah. yeah sorry about that i'm sure i just popped up on the uh live sure on the air that live on that that's what that's, we're doing it live all right i'm not cutting put that your, out put yourself in airplane mode. <laughs> not yeah. cutting that but, out you know yeah so um one of the other things is is that um i was uh, inspired by his daily dedication to do this right yes i mean i mean i have a hard time getting my fat ass on I a bike know, three times a week and i was thinking you know what maybe Maybe I should do five days a week. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you if, know, if it there's there's been several, damn near everybody on this podcast makes you just reevaluate, like your excuses. What are yours? Right. right? And yeah. um, it never ceases to amaze me that you know you guys are inspiring people that are not even in the situation of a spinal cord injury. You know, it goes beyond that pushing other people to be like all right so if this guy can do this he has a spinal cord injury what's my excuse exactly right yeah yeah Yeah. well and i just appreciate him like everybody that comes on the show i'm like all right i'm gonna have you on the show but i'm gonna need you to compliment me at the end there you go tell me how great the show is and how uh inspirational and i'm kidding obviously um but i do appreciate like when people people uh do mention you know that we're you know because you don't really think about it like i don't really like well you never know where you pick up something jeremy yeah like i said i mean it was pretty inspirational when i listened to it this morning i was like geez you know why can't I be more like that? Mm-hmm. You know what? There's nothing stopping me. No. Right. Nothing. Well, you are stopping you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true, man. We get in our, you know, you, you're your own worst enemy a lot Absolutely, of times, man, man, when it comes to stuff like that. And, uh, yeah. I mean, what well, just goes to show you that if you're like, oh, I don't have time or, you know, this, this situation arose, like this, I don't have the money or whatever your excuse is like everybody's got one 
Everybody's yeah. got an excuse. Mm-hmm. And there's still people that are able to achieve that or find a way. Yeah. Right. It's a good it's a good slogan, Brandon. Find a way. Let's go. Hey, that's what we need. Yeah, we need to find. Um, Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> there we go. Trademarked. No. Live to walk again. Find a way. Let's go. Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, I thought, I thought, uh, <coughs> Sharon was, yeah, incredible guy, man, Absolutely. just, um, you know, great story, great, yeah, just great energy, so, uh, I appreciate him coming on, and, and I think, yeah, it's, I thought his, his whole message was, was very cool, man, and, and, yeah, I'm excited to, to kind of see where he's going here Well, in the he's a software engineer, right? No, the guy's a genius, too, man. I know, yeah, he's smart. And making us all look bad. Well, I'm just hoping that he leverages uh, AI to help find a fix. There we go. Yeah. Let's get chat GPT or whatever it's <laughs> yeah. called. Like, fix the spine. Tell us how to fix the spinal cord, please. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to ask. Yeah, I should, man. You never know, right? There's a whole database world what if, out there. What if just nobody's asked it? And then it, 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 we're like, shit. It would just be like, oh, all you got to do is... Uh, well, da, 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 da. Tab we can go on a different beat. tangent, yeah. but you know, you saw... When they had that 60 minutes and they were talking Google AI, well, Google mm-hmm. is like way behind the AI anyways, which I thought was hilarious that they did a whole thing on them. They must have paid them, but right. Um, they said that they the AI was learning languages that they never taught it to learn, but they didn't know why. Right. Wow. <clears throat> and the AI was just performing on its own, and it had been programmed to do to learn this language, so possibility it's a possibility man that is crazy yeah let's let's go man if, figure if, but that was also a scary thing the lady's yeah. like but you don't know why and they're like oh I don't know, but well hey man i mean if if ai can if it can fix the fix the spinal cord injury and get me walking again at least for a couple years before they kill all of yeah, us that's what i'm saying let's go i'm in I'm in. I'll enjoy the last six months running <laughs> around this bitch. Yeah. Well, just think of all that time I wasted under a desk. I know. Take a few, uh, take a few vacays before oh, the AI man. takes us all out. But uh, yeah, man. Well, uh, thank you guys for for coming in. I appreciate yeah, Sharon coming in. Thank you all for listening. Yeah, if you I, could uh, put yourself on too. airplane mode, oh, and that would be great. And well done. Just getting blown. Oh man. Who Sorry. This I don't even know. It, it was Sheree calling. Oh. I don't know who. Somebody oh. just friend of the podcast. It's fine. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting text messages from your son's fundraisers. That's what That's it is. True. He, I <laughs> did. Get, I just got that too, but I don't. I have myself on silent. Oh well, you're you're a genius. Uh, anyway, I'm thank you guys for engineer. listening. <laughs> thank you for listening. Please like, rate, review, share, listen, all that good stuff. We appreciate you all. And uh, we'll be back next week with another incredible guest. And we're going to have Willie on soon, too, man. They just got back from uh, Washington, D.C., doing some stuff with uh, the Billy Frank Jr. statue. So we'll get an update from Willie here in the next couple weeks as well. So thank you all again, and I'll talk to you in a week. Sounds good, Jeremy.